Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. I had the pleasure last night of, of meeting our, um, our next speaker, Dr. Craig Considine. Um, and I have to disclose, and I've told Dr. Considine this, that I have a Twitter crush on him. So please follow him at, at Craig Cons. That's at C-R-A-I-G-C-O-N-S. You won't be disappointed. Um, Dr. Considine is a scholar, a global speaker, a media contributor, and the author of many, many books. His opinions have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, BBC, CBS News, Fox News, MSNBC, Newsweek, and Foreign Policy. He finds time, he also finds time for his day job as, at a, lecture, as a lecturer, excuse me, at Rice University's sociology department, and his areas of interest include Islamophobia, Christian-Muslim relations, and Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So please give a warm New Jersey welcome. Dr. Considine has come all the way from Texas to Dr. Craig Considine. Peace be with you all. I hope everyone is having a lovely day. God bless you, each and every one of you. It is such an honor for me to be here, and I must say, when I touched down from Houston, I felt the Northeast rekindle through me, which I've been missing living in Texas for five years. I'm originally from Boston, so it's lovely to be back, even though I'm pretty far from home. Before I get into the talk, a few thank yous are in order. First, Muslims for Peace. Thank you so much for inviting me, for considering me, for hosting this important and timely event. To the organizers, Saba, Raza, Umar, Urshad, and Mustafa, and to all others, I'm sure there are many more, who are working behind the scenes to make an event like this possible. Can we give them a round of applause, actually? Of course, a thank you to our distinguished guests, Dr. Al-Kazwini and Representative Tlaib. I'm looking forward to learning from you. To Rutgers University for hosting the event. To each and every one of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to be here. And of course, thanks to God our creator for none of this would even be possible. I'd like to begin with a bit of a reminder that seems to be lost among mainstream narratives surrounding refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants, not only in this country, but around the world. And it's a simple reminder, and here it is. The origins of our shared human story is fundamentally a refugee 
and migrant story. I'm going to repeat that. The origins of our shared human story is fundamentally a refugee and migrant story. Now consider the following. Adam and Eve, the beginning of it all, were expelled from the Garden of Eden after being tempted by Satan. Abraham fled the persecution of Nimrod, the king of Mesopotamia, and embarked upon a journey to the land of Canaan. Moses and the children of Israel escaped slavery and fled through the Sinai. Mary and Joseph fled Bethlehem with the baby Jesus to avoid the terror of King Herod. And of course, the companions of Prophet Muhammad and Prophet Muhammad himself, peace be with him, journeyed south to Abyssinia and north to Medina to seek refuge from persecution in Mecca. In short, at least from the Abrahamic perspective, we are all spiritually and physically linked to a refugee, an asylum seeker, or a migrant at one time or another throughout history. Now, in addition to our religious and theological links, I also want to encourage you all to think about your ancestors. My last name is Considine, which means gentle and meek in Irish. A lot of people don't think it's an Irish name, but it is. Now, my Irish ancestors suffered about 800 years of colonization, if you're familiar with Irish history. I'm sure for those that grew up in the United States, you're aware of the story of the Irish potato famine. And it's called a potato famine, and that is accurate to an extent. The potato crop did fail. But scholars actually suggest that this was a totally preventable starvation and mass migration. The land of Ireland in the 1840s was predominantly owned land by Protestants. And the Protestant landowners would take the crops and then sell it to the market. When the potato crop was not doing as well as it used to, the products that they would export would go down. So there was still food. And this is a historical fact. It's been well documented. There was still food being shipped out of Ireland, but the landowners starved the people. My ancestors went through that. On the Italian side, 60 years later, my great-grandparents fled the early stages of fascism, came to the Ellis Island, not too far from here. I mean, I just imagine them not speaking a lick of English. They were farmers, had absolutely no skills. They get on a boat. They go halfway across the world, and they're expected to navigate. And thank God they did. That's my story. But I know that each and every single one of you has that refugee story, that asylum seeker story, and that migrant story within you. It's in our DNA. It's in our memories. It's in our souls. It's in our brains. And it's in our hearts. We just need to find it, to rekindle it, 
to allow the spirit of our ancestors and our creator to live through us in our actions as a sake of remembrance for them. And we know, just as I had mentioned, the struggle that they went through. And I know a lot of you might be migrants or refugees and asylum seekers yourselves. It's not an easy experience. You face challenges and you face hardships. Human beings who fit into these categories are denied jobs. They're scolded on the streets. They may have seen their ethnic, racial, or religious communities demeaned in the media. They may also have been unfortunately physically assaulted and perhaps worse, even murdered. But amidst these horror stories, we have stories of humanity, which is why we're here today. We are here to celebrate our common humanity. Stories of human beings reaching out to one another, giving a helping hand, opening doors, doors, providing opportunities, breaking bread with one another, giving a simple smile to people. And I believe Prophet Muhammad, peace be with him, said that even a smile is an act of charity. And even more than that, giving someone a hug, embracing them with the message and the spirit of peace. Now, if I asked everyone in here right now, who is, if, if you're for this statement, I want you to put your hands up. Who wants refugees to come into this country? Okay, I figured. Pretty much everyone, right? It's a no-brainer for all of us collectively to be in here. We're here because we are supporting this awakening of the conscious, a movement of humanizing the other, the refugees, the asylum seekers, and the migrants. It's our obligation as humans, and also as people of conscious and of faith, to welcome them. And you know why we, sh we have to welcome them? Because we're all guests. We're all guests on earth, God's guests. I think this is important to remember. So for the purpose of this talk, I want to push us a little bit further, because we're all on the same page. We all want to embrace humanity and welcome these people into the fold of our communities. Let us focus on what we should do when they're here. What should we do? What are the hopes? What are the constructive projects that we can engage in when they are here? So hopefully you can leave here with some, some lessons. Now. I'm going to talk about three issues pertaining to the life of Prophet Muhammad. And the first has to do with Bilal ibn Rabah, one of the most significant companions of Muhammad. For those who may not be familiar with Bilal, Bilal was from Abyssinia, which is in northeast Africa, present-day Ethiopia. He was a black man, and he was enslaved. And he was living in Mecca in a time where racial equality was absolutely frowned upon. Society was clicking only on tribal identities. What tribe you belong to would determine your place in society. Now, Muhammad embarked on a revolutionary project, a revolutionary project of taking someone like Bilal not just tolerating Bilal, right? Not just tolerating Bilal, but elevating Bilal to a prominent position 
of the muezzin, the person who calls Muslims to prayer. And he's also, and he also held other kind of distinguished positions within the early ummah. Right, so when, when we think about how Muhammad approached a man who was a migrant, enslaved migrant, he was fundamentally challenging people to think differently. Fundamentally challenging them. And I often think about Muhammad in this time. You know how easy it would have been for him to please his enemies by just saying, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be racist. They would, have, they would have liked that, but he took the hard way. He said, no, we are all children of God. We are all created equal. Right, so when Muhammad started allowing Bilal into this space, it wasn't merely an act of non-racism. Right, again, if we were gonna go through this exercise, if I asked everyone in here, you know, who is a non-racist, put your hand up. Most people in here would consider themselves to be non-racist. But Muhammad was not merely a non-racist. He was an anti-racist. There's a big difference. An anti-racist is someone who actively takes measures to promote racial equality and to take down those structures and barriers in society that promote racial superiority. So when we're welcoming refugees, asylum seekers, migrants in, don't just tolerate them find ways of empowering them, as Muhammad did with Bilal. The second example, the first hijra. For those who may not be familiar, the early Muslim community was facing persecution in Mecca, as was noted, and Muhammad, at the time, it was around 615-ish, the dates are kind of fuzzy, but Muhammad had learned about a Christian king in Abyssinia, modern-day Ethiopia. And Muhammad likely heard about this wise and tolerant and powerful king because Muhammad, as you know, was a, a merchant on trade caravans. He was a man of the world. He interacted with a lot more diverse people than I think a lot of people imagine. So Muhammad tells the early Muslim, uh, about 80 early Muslims, go south, go to Abyssinia, right? go meet with this Christian king. And when the communities came together, it's a beautiful and well-documented historical event. They engaged in a dialogue, getting to know one another. We know that the Abyssinian king tolerated the Christians because the king let, uh, excuse me, the Muslims, because the king let them in. But he did more than that. He engaged with them. They were grappling with theology. They were grappling with Christology, the nature of Christ. And I think even more importantly, the Christian king defended the Muslims, literally from going back to Mecca and likely being perhaps put to death. Right, so when we talk about tolerance, tolerance is quite standoffish, is it not, right? When you tolerate a behavior of one of your loved ones. There's something iffy about it. You tolerate it just because you kind of have to. But pluralism is something different. Pluralism is the energetic engagement with religious diversity. This is the way to create 
real strong bridges, strong bridges, dialogue with one another, educate one another. This is what happened in, in Abyssinia. And I know for a lot of younger folks here, you often hear this term ally, right? Be an ally to a community that is in need of allyship. Be there, be there for them. We know the Christian king of Abyssinia was an ally, but he was even more than that. He was an accomplice in a good way. He refused to hand over this community. That's quite powerful. Third example, the second hijra. When Muhammad and the Muslim community rise up and they move up to Medina, Muhammad had a reputation for being trustworthy. And Medina at the time, as many of you know, was a unhealthy society. Warring factions, tribes coming together, butting heads. Jewish tribes butting heads, pagans butting heads with Jews. It's a very dysfunctional society. Muhammad comes up with another revolutionary idea. Let's create a society where your race, your religion, and your ethnicity will not determine your place in a given society or your sense of belonging. That's revolutionary. And you know, if you think about it, this is also the ideal of America. I mean, look at this room. I have the, the beauty of looking at all of you, people of all walks of life. What makes us American is obviously not how we look, right? Or our religious beliefs. What makes us American in this context is the Constitution. Muhammad was creating the same type of society. If you look at the Constitution of Medina, it's saying freedom of religion, yes. Freedom of assembly, yes. You can have your sovereignty in a way. You can have all these things. That's a civic nation, not an ethnic nation, right? Not something like the Nazis had done, where your sense of belonging is determined by how you were born. Muhammad was creating something much different, revolutionary. That was challenging. So when we think about refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants, we can find ways of working together. We can be different, but we can enter certain spaces together with a common goal of peace. Okay, let me wrap up. I also want to push, push the envelope a little bit more as well. And I'm going to quote Pope Francis, someone who I've come to really admire. About six months ago, Pope Francis said the following. Humanity is about all those in existential peripheries who, together with migrants and refugees, are victims of a throwaway culture. Existential peripheries. He's not just saying refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants. He's saying all people who are in our communities who are othered and positioned on the outskirts of our communities. Those are the people. We need to bring all these people into the fold and find ways of uplifting their lives and their spirits. And this idea of a throwaway culture, right? We are literally looking at our fellow human beings as if they're not human, as if they're a piece of plastic that once you're done with, you just throw it away. This is not what God had intended. It can't be what God had intended. Pope Francis continued. And Pope Francis, by the way, is the son of migrants. He grew up in Argentina, but his parents were from Italy. He wanted us to think 
even more critically. He says, God calls us to practice charity towards the periphery. He calls us to restore their humanity as well as our own and leave no one behind. Leave no one behind. Imagine if we heeded this call. Leave no one behind. And it's a bold commandment and a challenging one. It challenges us to widen our social tents and it requires us to loosen the boundaries of our communities. It forces us to engage with people who may not look like us, feel like us, think like us, or even share the same values as us. Until we start thinking in these interconnected terms, which is essentially the well-being of one is dependent on the well-being of all and vice versa. We will continue to be stuck in this tribal atmosphere, which is not only plaguing our country, but it's plaguing the world. Imagine if we, start, if we started viewing each other as human beings first. First and foremost, even the term human being, I must say I started using it a couple years ago and when I first started using it, it felt strange. Human beings. If we start using this term before categories like, let me, let me list them, even refugee, asylum seeker, migrant, Muslim, Christian, Jew, atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, black, white, brown, poor, rich. What if we started using terms like mother, father, grandfather, grandmother, son, daughter, aunt, uncle, neighbor, coworker, teacher, professional? It levels the playing field. Think about how that would change the discourse. How would your hearts and minds shift? Human beings, first and foremost. If we start thinking in these terms, that we are all children of God, but also guests of God. We don't own anything. He provides everything for us. We have to share. We have to work together. If we think of that humanity and if we think of ourselves as guests, it will be harder to deny people their human dignity and it will provide people with hope for a better future. It all really does belong to our creator. Thank you all and God bless.